Hello, and thank you for checking out this episode of the From the Frontline podcast. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a key voice from the NHS or social care to discuss some of the key challenges and changes that impact the treatment and care we all receive. Throughout this podcast series, we'll be answering some of the big questions which face health and social care today, such as why are there massive delays in A&E, how do we beat the NHS winter crisis, and how can we make the future of digital health accessible for all. We hope that you'll finish each episode knowing a little bit more about the major NHS headlines and what needs to change if you are to deliver the best possible care for everyone in the UK. The From the Frontline podcast is brought to you by Healthcoms Consulting, who are part of the PLMR group. We hope you enjoy this episode. On today's episode, we are going to be talking all things mental health and the treatment of mental health in the NHS. We're delighted to have Vicky Nash from Mind with us on the podcast today. Vicky, thanks so much for being with us. It's a fascinating avenue of conversation and one that is absolutely crucial in terms of how the NHS currently operates and what it looks like going forward. I suppose before we get into that discussion, it would be great to just get a little bit of a sense of what work Mind is currently doing. Um, and a little bit of a background as to the work of the charity more broadly, I suppose. Yeah, sure. So, um, Mind is uh, it's, it's it's actually older than the NHS. So we've been we've, we had our seventieth birthday a, a couple of years ago, I think it was. And um, we 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 talk about how our work is both kind of national and local. So you kind of have the national work that we do, um, whether that's through the policy and campaigning work, the work that I do. We have a uh, information service and information line that we run um, and lots of our kind of awareness um, raising issues to kind of help publicly educate people about the about mental health and what that means because there's still quite a lot of misunderstanding about what mental health really means um, for, for individuals and for communities as well and then we're also local so we're kind of rooted in local communities we're a federated structure so we have about 110 local minds all over England and Wales and they provide they are essentially our front line a version of our front line providing those face-to-face services um, some of them are, you can access them through our kind of local shops as well others it will be kind of separate so we're kind of we've got a presence on the high street and in your local communities up and up and down England and Wales so that's that's what we do and in, and I suppose in terms of the things that are keeping us busy at the moment um very similar to lots of other people it's um you know first and foremost it's tackling that uh, seeing the impact of the cost of living crisis on on individuals mental health but also the nation's mental health and that comes you know very soon after you know the pandemic and the the toll that that took on our nation's mental health as well. So, it's re- it's really taken quite a battering over the last few years, um, and we are dealing with the consequences of that at the moment. Absolutely, and we will definitely get into those kind of issues and what the current key challenges are. I suppose for, before we do, um, from where I'm sitting, uh, we hear a lot in terms of. Uh, political discourse, uh, but newspaper headlines, media coverage um, around the need for improved mental health provision in the NHS or increased funding for mental health in the NHS, um, all the way down to sort of dedicated funding for mental health from the government and dedicated responsibility at a ministerial level for mental health. My suspicion and fear, I suppose, is that in terms of our understanding of what 
treatment for mental health and the provision of mental health um, care in the NHS, what that actually looks like um, and an understanding of, uh, I think we'll get into why that funding is needed a little bit later, but what it actually is funding um, I think is a really important question. So it'd be great if you could just give us a little bit of a background and overview on that front, I suppose. Yeah, I think, I, I, and I think um, m- mental health is is really interesting when you think about it in that frame because mental health isn't just one thing. You've got a whole array of diagnoses that make up that kind of spectrum of mental health. And and it's not just the diagnoses that an individual can get. It's about how severely that impacts on an individual's life. So you could have a diagnosis of depression, but it means that you don't leave your house for 10 years. You could have a diagnosis of schizophrenia or bipolar, but you're able to kind of hold down a job, um, you know, function, function, you know, really well in, in your community and in society and kind of, um, you know, you know, have a very kind of fulfilled life. So it's, it's really when you're talking about mental health and what that looks like, it comes down to that individual as not only what, you know, what they're, what they're um, struggling with, but the impact that that has on them. And that is so variable because we're all individuals and, you know, have different, different challenges in our own lives so I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind because that means that when you start to think about like what do you actually spend your money on in the healthcare system um, it's not it's not equipment it's not like when you're looking at some of the other conditions it's not we don't need big big chunky equipment um what we off what we primarily need is is workforce that's what a lot of the mental health money goes on is is workforce or trying to build that workforce up um there's obviously some um uh some spend that goes on kind of specific medications um uh and um and obviously there's there's a bit that goes on kind of research and development but um but but uh, uh and and obviously buildings and hospitals and estates so that's that's when we talk about mental health money we're really talking about kind of where particularly if you're very unwell where where can you be and where can you get safe effective care um, and who is delivering that care and have you got the right numbers and the right values for the staff that are in those posts that's really interesting and I'm keen to pick up on that workforce point a little bit uh, in terms of if I'm hearing you right a kind of key requirement and need in terms of securing mental health provision for those that need it going forward. My guess is that just as you've mentioned that the treatment for mental health is as varied, is is incredibly varied, that the workforce that is is required to deliver those services is almost equally as varied. So I suppose just as it's important and helpful for us to actually think about what the treatment of mental health looks like in the NHS, it's probably equally as helpful to get a sense of what a mental health professional in the NHS looks like and what their particular roles might be, really. Yeah, and I mean, there's a it's like all, it's all disciplines, isn't it? There's there's a wide range of uh, of professionals, um, uh, and uh, so you have kind of your psychiatrists, which are uh, you know the um, uh, kind of the people that are working in kind of. Sp- specialist mental health services in in mental health hospitals um a vast array of of nurses um so, so you've got your psychiatrist you've got your nurses um you've you, you, gps actually play a really fundamental role in mental health because you know 90% of people with mental health problems um are looked after within the primary care system so so when I, I, we've been thinking a lot over the last few weeks about um 
luxuries coffees at A, B, C and D, um, when you're looking at kind of doctors and to a certain extent dentists, um, but particularly nurses, um, it's not so much. It's about the we, we feature everywhere in primary care, in secondary care. There will be some tertiary care. We have kind of secure units. We have specialist hospitals. There's overlaps with criminal justice. So, again, there's 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 the traditional range of um, professionals, I think. And then what's really interesting with mental health and perhaps a bit bit you get this a bit more than in some other disciplines is um, the value of kind of what we often refer to as subclinical support. So it's actually the, the support that lots of voluntary organisations provide our local minds. Um, it's also about the value that people with lived experience bring to that. So an, an increasing number of kind of peer support roles um, that are paid where where people kind of support people that are kind of going through similar challenges to them. And, and that's that has helped to kind of really transform the conversations and the support that's available at local level. So traditional, you know, professionals, um, but also a, a growing number of kind of peer support workers. Um, and, the, and, the, and, and they sit both within the NHS, but also beyond and in kind of voluntary sector organisations as well. That's really interesting. And I suppose just going back to some of the current pressures uh, that are impacting the, uh, the rates and requirements of mental health treatment, I suppose, in terms of thinking about the cost of living, we're talking about the impact of COVID that is now currently being felt. My guess is that there's probably a seasonal pressure as well in terms of winter pressures. Um, I'm interested by uh, the potential correlation between those kind of pressures and the predominance of potentially primary care and peer support network, voluntary support as the potential, not solution, I suppose, but the primary access point for some of these more social denominators that are really um, contributing to the mental health diagnoses that we see. Is that a correlation that can be drawn? Is that the kind of the core as to why there is such a, um, why mental health is primarily seen first at a primary care and in the community uh, before going into secondary and acute settings. I mean, it's very much the traditional way of that's the that's the that's the way the system works. Um, um, uh, I think uh, there's there's interesting comparisons. Um, actually, in in Wales, have a different approach. So if you've been through kind of you've been in kind of secondary services or you've been in contact with specialist mental health services before, and you become unwell again, you can kind of refer yourself straight back in to those secondary services. Whereas for us, you know, in in England, you tend to have to still go through your kind of GP as your first port of call. Um, it's also a signifier that actually a lot of mental health. Um, problems can be supported um, within a kind of primary care setting with um, with uh, with the right kind of support around people so we we run a program working working with kind of primary care which is called active monitoring and that is about housing people who can proactively follow up with people that have got diagnoses of anxiety or depression making sure that they're kind of how they're doing. It's that social contact. Um, social prescribing would be another example of where you're combining the the skills um, and the expertise um, of individuals that, that, um, that can kind of help open access to, to things. Um, so social 
prescribing has been a game changer, I think, for mental health in terms of being able to kind of um, uh, improve access for people that for 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 them for that level that they need. Um, but I think we would be would be lying if we we could if we weren't then talking also about the real challenges in the kind of more acute end of the of the system because um, that you know even to get access to kind of psychological therapies the the waiting times are are challenging and when you're looking at um, what, what we've really noticed over the last few years is the is the complexity that people are now presenting with for a whole variety of reasons and and that that needs more specialist treatment and and sadly the waiting times for that is is are really long in some cases um particularly when you're looking at issues um that in some cases can be life or death when it comes to things like eating disorders or um some other aspects of it so it's it's yeah it's a complicated complicated patchwork of treatment and support um when it look when you're looking at mental health as a whole i suppose with that in mind, if uh, we were looking to highlight key areas of priority um, and need for potentially government intervention uh, and additional government resource, it sounds like from the pat- patchwork that you described that it's almost uh, it's an impossible summary in terms of what that might look like. But I just wonder if there were a key couple of headlines or priorities that you would highlight what they might be yeah absolutely I mean I, I think um, one of the the the, the first um uh, one of the first priorities that doesn't make any sense a priority um would definitely be really looking at what is happening to children and young people and um the scale of the increasing scale of the challenge um so so the mental health of young people poses i think one of the biggest nhs challenges post covid um i think it's the thing that keeps us up at night um at, at mind so just for context so when you when you looked at, when you look at the stats and the, the prevalent stats so um, back in 2017 it was one in nine children and young people in England um, were having a, a kind of a mental health problem it's now one in six um, and that's and that that was dated in July 2021 so you, that's that that shift that rapid increase so even when you've got more money coming into the system the, the, the goalposts have shifted. Um, and so that's what we've been trying to have the conversation with government and, and with the NHS say that 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 might have been in, it wasn't enough, but it was a good start for, for kind of when we looked at things like the long-term plan and the original funding settlements. But but the goalposts have, have shift now and we're, we're you're, you know, you're not comparing the same um, the same challenge, um, and so the the risk of that is that the the longer that need goes unmet, um, the the more complex the treatment becomes, the more expensive the treatment comes, um, and you end up with more young people reaching crisis point, and that's when we've started to see increases i mean massive increases in levels of self-harm um increases in attempted suicide and very sadly increases um in kind of in suicides um uh, in some parts of the population but 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 worryingly amongst kind of young people as well so so young people um children and young people are is a massive is a massive um challenge and a priority and it has to be for um for government and the nhs um and, and i think um the, the the other area is just around kind of thresholds for services so as the money becomes more and more squeezed because of the numbers that are going in um the thresholds are are, are increasing and so you've got 
you know, and now an increasing number of people that simply can't access support in a, in a timely way. And um, that's bad for everyone. <laughs> it's bad for all round, but it's particularly bad when, when, as I said, we'd mentioned looking at kind of what happens to eating disorders, which is really skyrocketing, sky, eating disorders skyrocketed during COVID. Um, and, um, and that is continuing to increase. And in fact, I think I was reading a couple of weeks ago about that not just increasing amongst young people, but it's actually increasing amongst older people now. So self-harm and kind of eating disorder rates. Um, so it's, you know, these are all population challenges to some extent. Um, and, and very sadly, we're kind of seeing kind of almost like the, the numbers going backwards in, in terms of people being treated close to home. So out of area placements, which is basically where you have to travel, in some cases, hundreds of miles out of your area because there's not a bed, lo a, a bed locally to kind of take you in. Um, and we're, you know, we have a commitment to eliminate those. Um, and we've missed that deadline um, as, as, a, as a nation. Um, but actually, the, it's going the wrong way. Um, and we know that that's, again, really problematic because um, w without a very replacement comes increased risk of suicide. It comes, in, you know, more likely to be a revolving door of people going straight back into into services um, because you want to be around your loved ones when you're at your most unwell and when you're at your most vulnerable. So they are some of the priorities. Um, I've got a longer list, but I'll keep it. I'll hold it. For, I'll hold it for there in terms of the things that could be could be tackled um, that need to be tackled here and now. Yeah, absolutely. That that's really helpful. And I suppose just as we draw this conversation to a close, really, in terms of with those immediate pressures and those immediate requirements very much at the front of our mind, mm. thinking a little bit as to what the long term future of mental health provision in the NHS should and needs to look mm. like. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on what that, if it's a structural change uh, more broadly in the long term, or what that what mental health provision really needs to look like beyond those immediate pressures, I guess. Yeah, I, I think there's always a risk, isn't there, where you focus on structural change. It ends up you just move the deck chairs around and, and it's it's still, it's still the same ship, um, to, to, um, to use that metaphor. I think it's more a kind of... Uh, a, um, a mindset shift that's required um, in how we see mental health care and mental health treatment and seeing and seeing the need to see mental health as a kind of a key part of the way the NHS provides it care so not something that's separate but something that is integrated within the conversations we have around A&E or um, primary care or you know when we're looking at kind of workforce like mental health is an integral part of that system and actually the more that you think about it from a planning stage and factoring that in the more chance you're likely to see of where you can get those marginal gains, where you can get those wins by by kind of by integrating the approach that we take rather than seeing it as something separate and isolated. Now, of course, there's with a with a funding challenge, you with you have to remember the decades of historic underfunding within mental health. So you do need to kind of get the money in to to kind of to to um to kind of effectively get the system to catch up. Um, but but I think that the game changer is when we can when we see it as integrated within the wider healthcare system um, and then you use that funding to kind of 
make sure that it's properly staffed, it's properly resourced, um, and we can deliver that timely treatment, which, you know, all, all of us would want if we became unwell or if it was one of our loved ones. Um, so so that that's that's the um that's where we need to get to. It's a case of how we how we get there. Um, and that's um th- that's that's where we where we see where the NHS and and government and ourselves uh, managed to get us to. Absolutely. Uh, Vicky, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really interesting conversation. I, I've certainly learned a lot and I've no doubt that our listeners will have as well. Um, it's worth me saying on behalf of all of those that are listening that we're incredibly grateful to Mind for all the work that you guys do. Um, and we're really keen to support that in any way that we can. So it's a topic that we will continue to follow on the podcast. Um, and we just really hope that the points that you've raised uh, and the recommendations that you've made um, find a recipient audience uh, in terms of taking those forward uh, to ensure that all those that require mental health treatment get what they, what they really need. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the From the Frontlines podcast. If you have any thoughts about our conversation or would like to get involved in a future episode, please email fromthefrontline at healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. If you'd like to chat about our work as one of the UK's top health and social care public affairs agencies, please visit our website, healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. Thanks again for listening.